Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our prayer lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Spiritual reading can be challenging for many Catholics, so this podcast is here to help. Each season, we'll read through a great work, unpack its timeless wisdom, and encourage you with practical tips for the pursuit of holiness. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. To get your copy of the book and download the reading plan for this season, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text INTRO to 33777. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app. This is Day 36. Today we will be reading Part 4, Necessary Counsels Concerning Temptations That Occur Frequently in the Christian Life, Chapters 11-12, through 12, pages 397-403 to 403 in the Ascension edition of the book. Before we get into the reading, a quick look at what we're covering today. So, in this part dedicated to temptation, we're now about halfway through the part. And here, St. Francis de Sales is going to focus on anxiety and sorrow, which is fascinating because I don't know that a lot of us would think of anxiety and sorrow first as temptations. But certainly, anxiety and sorrow correspond to our experience in the 21st century, Uh, so it's a time wherein many people suffer with both anxiety and depression and other clinical states, which are blocks from knowing the love of God for them. But also, even if not a kind of clinical condition, many of us struggle with a kind of anxiety and a kind of sorrow, which also pose obstacles to living well the devout life which we would like to live. So let's turn then to our reading and uh, see what St. Francis de Sales has by way of encouragement. Let's say a prayer and start in. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grant us grace, a merciful God, to desire ardently all that is pleasing to thee, to examine it prudently, to acknowledge it truthfully, and to accomplish it perfectly, for the praise and glory of thy name. Amen. Chapter 11. On Anxiety. Anxiety is not a single and isolated temptation, but rather a wellspring from which many temptations flow upon us. I therefore must say something about it. Anxiety or sadness is nothing other than the grief of mind that we feel on account of some evil that affects us against our will, whether the evil be external, like poverty, sickness, contempt, or internal, like ignorance, spiritual dryness, revulsion, or temptation. Therefore, when the soul perceives that some such evil besets her, She is displeased at having it and thus is beset with anxiety of soul. She greatly desires to be freed from it and to have the means for getting rid of it, and to this extent she is right, for everyone naturally desires what is good and flees from what it takes to be evil. If the soul seeks the means for deliverance from her evil, doing so for the sake of the love of God, she will seek it with patience, meekness, humility, and tranquility, expecting her deliverance more from the goodness and providence of God than from her own industry or diligence. However, if she seeks her deliverance from self-love, then she will be eager and overwrought in search of the means, as though the success depended more on herself than on God. I do not say that she thinks this, but that she acts as though she thought it. And if she does not immediately find what she desires, she falls into great anxiety and impatience, both of which do not remove the evil but instead aggravate it. Thus, the soul becomes oppressed with such extreme anguish and distress, with so great loss of courage and strength, that she imagines that the evil besetting her is beyond possible remedy. Behold, therefore, how sadness that at first was reasonable begets anxiety, and anxiety an increase of sadness which is extremely dangerous. 
Anxiety is the greatest evil that can befall the soul, except for sin itself. For just as rebellious and internal commotions in any commonwealth lay at waste and prevent it from being able to resist a foreign invasion, so too our heart, becoming disturbed and anxious within, loses the strength to maintain the virtues it had acquired and the means to resist the temptations of the enemy, who then uses his utmost efforts to fish, as they say, in troubled waters. Anxiety arises from an inordinate desire to be delivered from the evil we feel or to acquire the good we hope for. But nonetheless, there is nothing that increases the evil more or which pushes the good further away than anxiety and eagerness. Birds remain prisoners in the nets because, upon discovering that they have been caught in the snare, they flutter and beat their wings, trying to get free again, thus entangling themselves all the more. Therefore, whenever you desire to be freed from evil or to attain some good, before all else, settle your mind in repose and tranquility, calming your judgment and will. Then, gently and quietly, pursue your desire, following, in normal order, the means that are most suitable to the end in question. When I say gently and quietly, I do not mean negligently, but rather, without hurry, trouble, or anxiety. Otherwise, instead of obtaining the desired effect, you will ruin everything and embarrass yourself more and more. Quote, I hold my life in my hand continually, O Lord, but I do not forget your law. End quote. Psalm 119, 109. Throughout the day, or at least in the morning and evening, examine whether you have your soul in your hands or whether some passion or anxiety has not snatched it from you. Consider whether you have your heart at your command or whether perhaps it has slipped from your hands in order to engage itself in some disorderly affection of love, hatred, envy, covetousness, fear, uneasiness, or joy. And if it happens to have gone astray, seek after it before you do anything else and bring it quietly back to the presence of God once more placing all your affections and desires under the obedience and direction of his divine will. For just as someone who is afraid of losing anything that is precious holds it tightly in his grip, so too, in imitation of this great king, we should always say, quote, O oh my God, my soul is in danger, and therefore I carry it continually in my hands, and in this way I have not forgotten your holy law. End quote. Do not let your desires, no matter how trivial and unimportant, cause you anxiety, lest afterwards those that are greater and of more importance might find your heart more disposed to trouble and disorder. When you perceive anxiety to arise in your heart, turn yourself to God and resolve to do nothing that your desires ask until you are restored to peace of soul, unless you happen to be faced with something that cannot be put off. And, in that case, restrain the flow of your desire with a gentle and steady effort, tempering and moderating it as much as possible doing what must be done in accord with reason, not your desire. If you can tell your spiritual director the cause of your anxiety, or at least can tell some faithful and devout friend, you will most surely find calm of soul immediately, for the communication of grief of heart has the same effect on the soul as bloodletting has on the body of a man in a fever. And this is the best of all remedies. Thus, the Holy King St. Louis gave this advice to his son, quote, If you experience uneasiness in your heart, immediately speak about it to your spiritual guide or to some good person, and then you will be able to readily bear the evil through the comfort he will give you. End quote. Chapter 12. On Sorrow. Quote, Godly grief, says St. Paul, produces a repentance that leads to salvation and brings no regret, but worldly grief produces death. 2 Corinthians 7.10. Thus, sorrow may be good or evil, depending on what kinds of effects it produces in us. Granted, yes, it produces more evil effects than good ones, for it only produces two that are good, compassion and repentance, while producing six that are evil, namely anxiety, sloth, 
indignation, jealousy, envy, and impatience, which made the wise man say, quote, for sadness hath killed many, and there is no profit in it, end quote. Ecclesiasticus 30.25, Dewey Reams Version. For the two good streams flowing from sorrow have six very evil ones alongside them. The enemy makes use of sorrow to tempt the good, for just as he tries to make the wicked rejoice in their sins, so too he strives to make the good feel sorrow in their good works. And, just as he can only lead people to commit evil by making it appear agreeable, so too he can only turn them away from the good by making it appear disagreeable. The evil one is pleased with sorrow and melancholy because he himself is filled with sorrow and melancholy and will be for all eternity. Therefore, he desires that everyone be like himself. Evil sorrow troubles and disquiets the soul, causes unreasonable fears, makes prayer distasteful, stupefies and oppresses the brain, robs the mind of counsel, resolution, judgment, and courage, and destroys her strength. In short, it is like a severe winter which mows down the beauty of the countryside and destroys all living creatures in its wake. For such sorrow takes away all sweetness from the soul and renders her disabled and powerless in all her faculties. If this kind of evil sorrow should ever take hold of your soul, Philothea, apply the following remedies. Quote, Is any among you sorrowful? Let him pray. End quote. See James 5.13. Prayer is a sovereign remedy against sorrow, for it lifts up the soul to God who is our only joy and consolation. However, when you pray, let your affections and words, whether interior or exterior, be ordered to trust in and love for God, thinking things such as, quote, O God of mercy, O all good God, O gentle Savior, O God of my heart, my joy, my hope, my dear spouse, the well-beloved of my soul, end quote, and so forth. With great strength, vigorously oppose any inclinations you might have to sorrow, and although it may seem that everything you do at that time is cold, lacking all delight and languid, nonetheless, do not fail to do it, for the enemy seeks to use such sorrow in order to make us weary of good works. And when he sees that we do not cease doing them and that they are all the more meritorious because they are done in spite of such opposition of spirit, he will cease to trouble us. Sing spiritual songs, for the work of the evil one has often been brought to a halt in its tracks by this means. Recall how Saul was afflicted by an evil spirit whose violence was repressed by such music. See 1 Samuel 16 verses 14 through 23. In order to distract our souls from whatever melancholy object is bothering us, it is also desirable to employ ourselves in external works and to vary them as much as possible, thereby purifying and warming the spirits, driving out the cold and dry winds of the passion of sorrow. Perform external deeds with fervor, even if you do them without delight, for example, embracing a crucifix, kissing his feet and his hands, lifting up your eyes and your hands to heaven, raising your voice to God in words of love and confidence like these, quote, My beloved is mine and I am his, end quote, Song of Solomon 2.16. My beloved is to me a bag of myrrh that lies between my breast, Song of Solomon 1.13. My eyes fail with watching for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? Psalm 119.82. O Jesus, be my own. May Jesus live, and my soul too shall live. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Romans 8.35, etc. Moderate use of the discipline is of use against sorrow, because this kind of voluntary external affliction calls out for interior consolation. And while the soul feels such external suffering, it turns toward those which are found within itself. Frequent reception of Holy Communion is excellent too, for this heavenly bread strengthens the heart and brings joy to the spirit. See Psalm 104.15. Humbly and faithfully disclose to your spiritual director all the feelings, affections, and suggestions that arise from your sorrow. Seek out conversation with the devout persons and frequent their company during this time as much as you can. 
And last of all, cast yourself into the hands of God, preparing yourself to patiently suffer this tiresome sadness as a just punishment for your vain joys. But have no doubt that after you have been tried, God will deliver you from this evil. In this section, we see a few different themes emerge. Uh, So like we said, we're talking about anxiety and sorrow. And in both cases, St. Francis de Sales is going to bring before our eyes the fact that an over-reliance upon the self is often going to lead us into trouble. Uh, So we, we have it in our minds that as Christians, we should be dependent upon the Lord, we should rely upon the Lord. But I think in the 21st century, it's often a temptation to rely upon ourselves, to seek to control a situation, maybe even to manipulate a situation, to not bind our lives up too terribly much with the lives of others on whom we might have to depend. Uh, So thinking about it in terms of our 21st century, what would you say to this caution against over-reliance upon the self? Well, first I would say that if everything just went my way, everything would be a lot better. You know, if I could just do it all, it'd be great. But turns out that's not the truth. That's not the truth, however much I want it to be. And it's not really what reality has in store. And I think that, yeah, over-reliance, it's, I guess what, it's it's a vice for sure, right? It's a, It's the wrong sort of way to look at things and to approach things. And if we turn back to a couple parts ago in what St. Francis was writing, he started at least when talking about the virtues of patience and humility, these kind of these two virtues, particularly, well, this virtue of humility, particularly that that is not a self degradation, remember, but is a is a way is the virtue by which we understand who we are and what we're you know sort of capable and able to do in our life. So, I think if we look at our culture, there's there's a great lack of humility, or at least true humility, and this great self reliance of you know we can make ourselves and make our world and do what we want to do, and ultimately because that's not true. It leads to these things that St. Francis is introducing, this anxiety, this sorrow. It's just because it, it enters into or it leads us into a fantasy um, that we are like masters of our own universe. It's just simply not true. And in fact, not that beautiful or that attractive, because if we look at our like track record, if I look at my track record, um, it's not that like impressive when I try to like control and manipulate and, and hold on to everything. You know, I end up being mediocre at best most often. So it's it's a good warning that St. Francis gives to us that like, yeah, we are not the end all and be all of things and we shouldn't expect that. And if we do, we're kind of setting ourselves up for failure, sorrow, sadness, disappointment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure we've all experienced that in different ways, whether large or small in our own lives. Yeah. And, and so as he kind of encourages us in our pursuit of the devout life, He's going to encourage what different authors in the spiritual tradition have called like consents or abandonments, you know, so this disposition whereby we just give ourselves over to what it is that the Lord permits or what it is that the Lord wills to befall in our life. Uh, And rather than seeking to avoid that or to evade that, we seek the Lord in the midst of that. So he'll, he'll go on to say how we observe in anxiety or in sorrow a kind of inordinate desire to be delivered from the evil that we feel or to acquire the good that we hope for, but to do so specifically on our own terms, which is, you know, has a kind of kinship with the sin of the angels who fell, the demons. They didn't want to receive God as a gift of grace. Rather, they said either, you know, I want to have God by my own resources or I'll have myself instead. So there's this this kind of perversion 
that represents a perennial temptation for angels. Well, they only had the one choice, so it's not a perennial temptation for them, but it's a perennial temptation for us to reject our lives as the gift which they in fact are. So our lives are from God and they are for God, and it's for us to receive them from God and to give them back to God, right, as a kind of affirmation of that fact. But it's always a temptation for us to say, no, it's mine and I'll do with it as I please. But when we do that, we become inordinately attached to the results that we want to see, right, the evil that we want to avoid or the good that we want to secure. But as a result, again, we just, we end up missing out on the rich interpersonal dimensions, on the opportunity to find our Lord in the midst of that you know, trial or temptation, uh, and then to cling to him and even to grow with him in that trial or temptation. So I think here of a book that both of us like, uh, Searching for and Maintaining Peace by Father Jacques Philippe, which has some really sound spiritual counsel on just these themes. Uh, But yeah, thinking then about these interrelated themes of consent or abandonment to God's will, and then being overly attached to the results that we want to provide and how that leads to anxiety and sorrow. What are your your thoughts on that? Often, at least in my... (laughs) kind of experience that the thought of abandonment is kind of tough for me, you know, cause like it's a question like, well, what does that, what does that mean? Does it mean that I become a sort of pacifist and just allow things to happen? How do you know, but it's, it's not that it's, it's that we, again, it's this, it's this recognition that, you know, we are, I am not God. I'm not God. And in fact, God loves me. God loves you more more than you love yourself and desires your holiness and your virtue and your goodness and your fulfillment more than you could desire for yourself. And there's, you know, God has worked things out in his providence that we ought to, uh, and we ought to trust that and and live in that and, and work in that. And ultimately, holiness, the devout life, is not so much about like a conflict between what I want, you know, my will, my desires, and what God wants, but about a, uni- a unification of those, of my being conformed to God by pursuing what is good and true, by, you know, not idolizing myself, not worshiping myself, not over-relying on myself, that, you know, by not growing in anxiety and in sorrow because of that, but by looking to the Lord. As, as we, I was saying, I, we were talking about in past episodes that again, it's all about, we have to keep returning to this theme that it's all of this, everything that St. Francis is presenting to us, everything in the Christian tradition and everything that we're talking about is all about focusing and, and sort of honing our crosshairs on, on Christ. So it's interesting then that when St. Francis de Sales describes the way that we kind of do battle against inordinate anxiety or sorrow, He'll often stress opening up, right? He'll stress the fact that we need to talk it through with a director, a spiritual director, or with somebody else. And this is both, you know, both in the case of anxiety or in the case of sorrow, because both of these experiences, whether we're talking about a clinical condition or whether we're talking about a kind of general state, uh, which is true of a wider swath of humanity, they kind of close us in in ourselves. They collapse us in in ourselves. They convince us that no one can understand us, right? No one can help us, that we are in a certain sense trapped or fated to live this experience on repeat unto ages of ages, which is a terrible thought. And in these circumstances, St. Francis says, you got, you got to open up, right? You got to communicate with your director. You got to communicate with a friend. You have to communicate with a trusted confidant. So that way you can step back into reality because there's always a bit of unreality when it comes to inordinate anxiety or sorrow, because they'll convince us that things are terrible, irreparable, continual, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So he's going to, yeah, he's going to try to reintroduce us into the human community as a way by which of giving us access to the divine community. 
So I don't know if you have particular thoughts on that, the need to share in these circumstances. Yeah, I think the need to share is always uh, something that that we're going to desire and need to do. And that looks, I think, different for different people, depending on our sort of dispositions, our relationships, where we are in life, married, single, you know, all of those factors of who we are play into that. But uh, we're made for it. You know, we're, if we read the creation story in Genesis, uh, we, re- we see right away that we're made to, for like companionship. We're made to share and be with other people and it's a great remedy, you know, Eve, as Genesis teaches us, is, is created to alleviate Adam's solitude. Um, we're, no, we're no different in that regard, that we need people, support, and just to share our lives with. And, and that is a great, mm, what, I was going to say a great boon, but I don't know if people use that word anymore, but a great, <laughs> a great boon to our, to our lives and our pursuit of Christ. Um, so we ought not like sell ourselves short in, in that. Yeah. And then maybe it's just a kind of final thought to glean from this selection of chapters. He'll talk about how we need to kind of get out of our head sometimes and get into our body. So he'll recommend, he's saying, okay, you're experiencing great anxiety or great sorrow. All right, pray, sing spiritual songs, undertake somewhat difficult acts of penance, you know, perform acts of devotion. He even says, you know, kiss a crucifix as a remedy, which is fascinating because it wouldn't necessarily be our go-to But it makes eminent sense, because if we are human beings, that means we're body, soul, made by the Lord and for the Lord, and that since we come forth from him, body and soul, we should return to him, body and soul. So it can be helpful when we're we're trapped in our own mind to get out of our mind, you know, or trapped in our own head to get out of our head and into our body. So I don't know if there's any particular recommendations that you have, things that you find helpful or uh, ways in which our listeners can, yeah, can put some of those into practice. Yeah, I think kind of adhering to liturgical form is really helpful, if that makes sense, right? So, like, think about how, what we do in the Mass, by way of example. You know, the way we kneel, sit, stand in prayer, we should also adopt those sort of things in our own prayer. We should feel comfortable kneeling, sitting, whatever it might be. And trusting in, like, sacramentals and what we, what we you know, what would be listed under sacramentals are, like, you know, making the sign of the cross, holy water, these sort of things. This is why we bless ourselves when we walk into a church with holy water, so as to like better be prepared to enter into what's going on, to dispose ourselves, to make ourselves ready. So the, all of those little things are are important. And I think making our homes or places of work Christian, you know, having a crucifix present, having images of the saints, you know, those kind of things shape our hearts and our minds, even though we might not think about it all the time to have that kind of before our eyes is helpful. Boom. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in. That's it for today, listeners. Uh, Be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts, if you haven't yet. To download the reading plan and support the production of this podcast, please visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics. And again, if you'd like to hear some of our conversations on other subjects, ranging from, you know, recent films to ancient prayers, follow up with us and three of our brother priests on the podcast Godsplaining. There you'll find weekly episodes on a variety of Catholic themes with the occasional guest, scriptural meditations, and a special series or two. You can find Godsplaining with any podcast app on YouTube and at godsplaining.org. Know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we will catch you next time on Catholic Classics. Catholic Classics.